Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. He shall hide me in his pavilion. Amen. I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but it's just one thing for which we ought to be thankful. That he would take us from the enemy's camp. Where all the knights that serve with him are his holy angels. And they're sent forth into the earth to take the tares from among the wheat and to destroy them in everlasting fire. He rides up on his glorious steed and picks us up behind him. And we ride back and he hides us in his pavilion forever and ever. Praise his holy name. I hope you'll love him this morning. In Luke chapter 17, I'd like to read to you a few verses beginning at verse 10. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his face at his feet, giving him thanks And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. May the Lord bless the reading of his glorious word. I hope you see the Lord Jesus Christ here in this passage, his compassion that he took on 10 lepers, but I hope you see the ungratefulness of 90% of those upon whom the Lord Jesus Christ has mercy. I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul, the greatest enemy of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, became his greatest apostle. And that the Apostle Paul said that the grace of God that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The Apostle Paul was a thankful one. He knew what God had done in his life. And some of you are thankful. And I I want to exhort you this morning to be ever more thankful. I want you to remember the words, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And the Lord's asking this morning, Where are the nine? Because he's done so much for us. And don't say to me this morning, I didn't have leprosy. That's to be thankful for right there. You never had leprosy. You deserve leprosy of body and soul. But he has cleansed you by never even letting you get the leprosy. Be thankful. It's a horrible disease. It eats your flesh away. You rot to death on the spot with your flesh falling away. You've never had it, you say. That's by the grace of God. For we all deserve to stand afar off and to cry out that we're unclean. Unclean, but he's had mercy upon us. But were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? He's asking you and he's asking me, where are the nine? Are you thankful for all the things that he has done for you this day? I don't like the calendar dictating what I preach, and it isn't this time either. Amen. You know me better than that. But brethren, I've wanted to remind us about the importance of thanksgiving. If the Lord Jesus Christ is to come and bless us, we need to go to Him with the right spirit. And the right spirit is a most thankful spirit. I hope you saw that in Psalm 100. I'm going to show you a few places this morning. But if there's one subject that the Word of God is filled with, it's being thankful. And we have a great deal for which to be thankful. Our nation calls the fourth Thursday of November 
Thanksgiving Day. And they remember some events early in the formation of this country in which we had some God-fearing people here that were thankful for the Lord's preservation of them through some very hard winters and through some very terrible pestilences. And so we have a day of thanksgiving. But our nation no longer understands it as thanksgiving. They understand it as turkey or ham day. They understand it as the day before the biggest shopping day of the year. They understand it as the day in which you can go out and get your tree and put it up in your house. They understand it as the day in which you can watch unique football games played on Thursday instead of Sunday. But very few are thankful. The picture that you older ones have in your heads of the typical American family of 50 years ago sitting together around a table with that great big golden brown turkey in front of them, but they're holding hands or they're bowed or their heads are bowed and they're thanking God no longer. It's entertainment and activity and specials on television and shopping and preparing to shop instead of being thankful. Now, we're not going to compare ourselves to the world. We want to compare ourselves to God's standard for us. But the Lord would say, and if there's ever been a nation that where it needed to be said, he would say now, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? How thankful are you? How many things have you thanked the Lord for this past week? May we all be ashamed. May we all be exhorted this morning, provoked, convicted, and pricked to be more thankful. I'm thankful that the Lord has brought us a little girl to be a friend of our congregation from that gloriously prosperous land called Kazakhstan. And I speak as a fool when I say that. If you were to communicate with her or to hear the things about her life versus your life, you have a great deal for which to be thankful. Relative to our nation, there's nothing to be thankful for in that place. Nothing. It's a land of darkness, ignorance, superstition, poverty, everywhere you turn. But more than that, the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ has shined in our hearts to give the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful that the Lord sent her to us that we can from time to time think about her lack and our abundance, even while we're complaining that our abundance wasn't quite what it was the previous day because something horrible happened, like we had a flat tire or the hot water heater went out. We have hot water, brethren. Amen. For that we can be thankful. Let's look in our Bibles at Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. The choice that caused you to be born in this country or to be able to move to this country as our little sister way in the back is by the grace of God. Right, man. By the grace of God. Amen. Deuteronomy 28, two of my favorite verses in the Bible about Thanksgiving. You've heard them before if you have good memories. I want to remind you of them again. Moses is giving the nation of Israel a charge before he dies on how they should serve the Lord. And we read in Deuteronomy 28, and verse 47, Because, Deuteronomy 28, 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Why would he do something so horrible as that 48th verse describes of sending enemies against Israel and causing them to hunger, to thirst, to be naked, and to be in want of all things, and to put a yoke of iron upon their neck until he's destroyed them. Why would he do something so horrible? Verse 47. Verse 47. Because they didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness 
and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Brethren, I could this morning have a giant list up here of the abundance of all natural things that we enjoy. Because no nation has ever tasted even a portion of the abundance of all things that we enjoy every day. We are blessed abundantly above all others that came before us and above all others that exist at this time on this earth. We are blessed abundantly. And for all of those things, we had better be thankful because it's by the mere choice of God that you were born in this generation, in this country, to enjoy all these things. It was His good choice. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Thy sight is what we must say to every choice of God's. We're blessed abundantly. And all we can do is see what we're not blessed with. Because we're ungrateful wretches. We are the nine, but for the grace of God. And we must be the one. We must be that Samaritan and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and cry out with a loud voice and give glory to God and thank Him for what He's done for us. We live in the lap of prosperity, peace, and pleasure. Yes, there are circumstances from time to time, but if we, we, we cannot focus on those, but even in the face of those, and while those are happening, we still have many things for which to be thankful. Amen. Many. But let's forget all those natural things. We could have a list. You know how, I don't care if it's just the dot on the piece of paper called a decimal point. I think the decimal point is one incredible invention and blessing that God gave us so that we're not outside with a stick scratching marks in the dirt to try to present numbers. We can calculate and plan and design and make things by a little dot on a piece of paper by the grace of God. We could go on and on. You know, Brother Chad keeps me informed because he manages the dairy department. He may be a little late this morning, may not be here this morning because of the typical Greenville response to a forecast for rain. They emptied out his poor store, and so he's trying to replenish it. But he likes to keep me informed about America's abundance of all things by keeping me up to date on the number of options you have in his yogurt section. And there's 137. When you go to Publix, you've got 137 choices to make in yogurt. Now, the fact that we can choose cooled, chilled yogurt is one thing. But 137 options, praise His holy name. Bless Him, be glad, rejoice. We live in the middle of prosperity and abundance, and He'll take it away and destroy us unless we're glad for it. I hope you won't forget these two verses about how we better serve the Lord and what will happen if we don't. I'll tell you what will happen if we don't. Look over at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Here's what will happen if we are not thankful. And it is happening because our nation is not thankful. And it has happened because our nation has not been thankful. Romans chapter 1. Beginning at verse 18, we have words like this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. What is their wickedness and their unrighteousness? It's in verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, and remember, God is visible in the creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. They declare it. They don't hide it. They don't conceal it. They don't make it difficult. They declare it. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night giveth knowledge. It's all there. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened even further. Because when they knew God, they didn't glorify God, and they weren't thankful. Right here. Romans 1.21. Now what did God do to them because they weren't thankful? I read in verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 
I read in verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And I, re- and I read in verse 27, And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And you can go on down through verse 32 and see all those things that are not convenient that we looked at even last Sunday evening. And all of it comes from the fact that men who saw the glory of God in His creation weren't thankful. And they wouldn't glorify God for His abundance of all things. Do not let anyone, children or adults, reading your newspaper, books, I don't care how thick they are, and how great the reputation is of the author, the origin of sodomy is not the environment. It's not the home. It's not a genetic deficiency. It is that a people have not been thankful. And so God turns them over to judgment that's horrifying here. Women with women. Men with men. But do you know what God says of it? It is judgment, a reward, that is the appropriate recompense. It's a proper payment for being unthankful. It doesn't come from anything else but not glorifying God and being thankful. What I'm trying to do right now is show you the importance of being thankful. Brethren, let us always be giving thanks. Instead of always complaining about the smallest things when we've got so many larger things for which to be thankful. It's a whole different perspective on life. What can I think about to be thankful for right now instead of the one or two things that I can complain about? May God help us. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous times. We've been over that before. What are they defined as? When men are unthankful. Men are unthankful in perilous times. We live in perilous... Can we say that? Is this nation unthankful? We live in perilous times by the definition of God's Word. And when God tells me it's a peril, that isn't Chicken Little telling me the sky's falling. That's the Lord saying it's perilous times because He's given a nation over to foolishness and to a reprobate mind. Our nation's going to celebrate what they call Thanksgiving, but very few of them will truly be thankful. I hope that this assembly is an assembly and a congregation of saints that God looks down from His holy throne and sees a people that are thankful. Look at these people. They keep thanking me. They thank me for the smallest of little things. That's why I love thanking Him for the decimal point. The smallest of little things because there is nothing small. Without some of these small things, we'd be nothing. We'd be in our loincloths if we were advanced savages, scratching little marks in the dirt. Praise His holy name. Some of you that work with computers all day long, they can't function without that little dot. I've been over that before. And then we have that big circle, that empty, that nothingness, that zero. And if we didn't have those zeros to hold the place and to mark the place, how would you count? It's a blessing. And where could we go? We can go to yogurt. We can go to anything we want. Look at our homes. Look at the HVAC. We can go on and on and on. But more than that, brethren, look what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that great king that is in his pavilion will hide you there with him. And his mercy and his salvation is everlasting. And he'll never forsake us. We ought to be thankful for that, that you have someone that loves you that will never forsake you. The Bible says in that same psalm that tells me about his pavilion, it says, when my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Are you thankful to have a God that is better than the natural love of parents for their children? When my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And so we have that precious promise for which to be thankful. Now look in your Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm not going to be very long this morning. 
1 Thessalonians 5, I want to provoke you. I want to convict you. I want to prick you. And I hope that you'll not kick against the pricks like Saul of Tarsus did for a little while. But then he got a prick that was too hard to kick against. And that was a light, the glory of which was above the brightness of the sun, shining at noon. That knocked him down on the road. That caused him to cry out, Lord, who art thou? And then, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? But I want to prick you this morning. I hope you don't have a hard heart. I hope you have a heart that is excited about one more way in which we can enter into his... A reminder, you already knew it. By which we can enter into his gates and into his courts with praise and with thanksgiving. And thus do appropriate homage and honor to that great king that has invited us into his pavilion. What a glorious thought. You know, it's, the Bible's full of it, isn't it? Aren't you going to be in an army that, that rides behind a man on a white horse? Amen. And that man's going to have a name on his thigh? Amen. And he's going to have a two-edged sword proceeding out of his mouth? I mean, that's the picture the Lord wants us to have. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you thankful that he chose you to be in his army? Amen. It wasn't volunteer army, brethren. If it had been a volunteer army, we'd all be in the camp of his enemy, right. Satan. Aren't you glad? Amen. He drafted me. He drafted me. When I got the notice in my mailbox, I said, I won't go. And so he took me anyway. He just pulled me up behind him on his white horse and gave me a a fighting heart that I wanted to be in his army. He changed me and he changed all of you, brethren. It's glorious. But are we thankful for it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Some of you men will remember from Wednesday night that I told you that you don't have to wonder what the will of God is for your life. The will of God is explained in chapter 4 that men ought to keep their vessels in holiness and sanctification and not to commit fornication. The pure will of God for young men is not to commit fornication. Glorious text. It's chapter 4, verses 3, 4, 5, 6. This is the will of God, but now, brethren, I want you to come to chapter 5. We have a mixed class this morning. And so we want to come to chapter 5 and see if we can't find the will of God for our lives. And it's it's in verse 18. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Can you give thanks when you have a flat tire? The flat tire may have been to keep you from that accident that happened two miles up the road. You do not know, but there is a God that knows all of those things. You might have got to work too early and run into someone that you didn't want to see that morning in the parking lot. You do not know. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As I told the men, I've seen so many struggle to know what the will of God is for their lives. This is the will of God for your life. If you, can, if you can obey this will of God for your life, He'll take care of all the things that don't matter, like who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, and what job you're going to have. Those things don't matter. What matters is, are you going to serve Him with joyfulness and gladness of heart so that you enter into His courts properly and He loves having you there? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How thankful are you? Brethren, we ought to be ashamed. Jesus would say, but were there not, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Right. Let's not be the nine. Let's be the one. Amen. Let this congregation give more thanks and praise to the Lord than any other. Let us be thankful always, in every prayer, at all times, in everything. May the Lord help us do that. I want you to turn now to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This past Sunday evening, as we were looking at the five passages of Scripture in the New Testament that together show us a list of sins that cannot inherit the kingdom of God, for which sins we have to put someone out of this assembly, We came to this passage in Ephesians 5, and we read in verse 4, 
neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. Some of you spoke to me after that sermon and during the week following and you asked me about these words, filthiness and foolish talking and jesting. And they're hard for us to accept because we live in such a foolish generation. Our grandparents wouldn't have had a problem with this verse. A A minor problem. We have a huge problem with it in our society, in our generation. And so it's hard for us to read the words and want to give them any fullness of meaning. We want to restrict them down to where we can justify the way we're living. But the wise man approaches the word of God and lets it bludgeon him into submission. We come as clay and say, Lord, form me like the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a verse to form us. We are not to allow filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting proceed out of our lips. And there's a cure for it. Amen. Amen. Is there? Amen. But rather, giving of thanks. Amen. If we were always meeting one another and being thankful for something, you wouldn't have time to joke around. You wouldn't have time to speak foolishly because giving thanks for even the smallest of things is not foolishness. It's wisdom and it's glorious to God. So instead of filthiness or foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, they're inconvenient things. And if you do them, you're a fool. And if you do them, you cause trouble and pain, no matter if people smile or not. Because it's an inconvenient way of expression and communicating. But a great way a profitable way, an edifying way of communicating is to give thanks. Brethren, it's easy for us to enjoy the good things God gives us. Do you think the nine lepers picked up the pace when they looked down and saw that they were cleansed on their way to the priests? You bet they did. They were excited. They were enjoying their cleansing. They were rubbing skin, slapping it, seeing it pink up, It was firm, it was strong. On their way to the priest, they were enjoying it. But enjoying something isn't being thankful for it. America enjoys her abundance and her prosperity, but that isn't being thankful for it. Being thankful for something is recognizing the gift and the giver and realizing that you don't deserve either. Is that simple enough for you to remember? True thanksgiving is recognizing the gift and the giver, and realizing and admitting that you don't deserve either of them. We don't deserve to know God as the great giver who has given to us when we did not deserve him, and we do not deserve all the gifts that he has given us. And so we should tell him that, that we see the gift, and we see the giver, and that we are not worthy. Lord, I thank you and I bless and praise your holy name. You have been abundantly good to me. That's what thanksgiving is. It's a glorious thing. Brethren, look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. Don't answer in case you can't follow me this morning. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. It's rhetorical to me. What can another person do to you to get you to want to give them something faster than anything else they can do? Thank you for something that you've done before. When you are thanked for something that you have done, what does it do to your soul? When you're thanked twice, when you're thanked thrice, when you get a note, when you're reminded, do you remember when you did this for me? Thank you. That was so nice. What do you want? If it was a gift of money, what do you want to do? While they're talking, you want to start peeling out a couple bills because that's how it provokes our hearts. Thanksgiving is wonderful. What does every sensible American hate about Christmas? Even the pagans hate a certain aspect about Christmas. And that is, when they open up all those presents, little Johnny and little Mary rip those presents open with all haste to expose whatever they have in there, and as soon as they see it, knock it aside and grab the next present. And rip it open. And knock it aside 
and grab the next one until they've exhausted everything with their name on it under that pagan tree of Baal mass. And the parents sit there and realize the greedy little pigs. You say, don't talk that way about children. It's not politically correct. Well, I'm sorry. You came to the wrong service this morning. Even pagan parents know exactly what I'm talking about. We live in a nation where the whole world is like that. It's like one big party, and everybody just keeps opening gifts, looking at it, discarding it, and wanting the next one. And we don't stop, and we aren't thankful. When someone opens a gift that you've given them, and you've put thought into it, and money into it, and time, and effort, and they open it up, and and they want to go on to the next one, what does it do to your heart? It cuts you. It's pitiful. It's so ungrateful. And then when someone makes a big deal over it and they bring it up later and they remind you and they thank you again, they thank you again, what do you want to do? Let's have another one. Brethren, what I'm trying to tell you is the Lord is like that. Right, right. He has given us so many blessings and are we just ripping the cut wrappings off them, looking at it and realizing what it is, enjoying it, and then going to the next one without stopping and saying, Lord, look at this thing that you made. There were some flowers in our house this week. I have a good son sitting back there that bought fl- brought flowers home for his mother. I'll praise him. That's pretty nice. Pretty condemning. Pretty nice. Amen. He swears he didn't do it to condemn his father, but I have my questions. But anyway, there were some beautiful roses in that in the house this past week. Multicolored roses. Roses that change in color as you come up toward the top of each of those petals with little distinct lines in there separating the colors. And you just had to look at those and say, who in the world designed that thing? No one, brethren. It's the God of heaven Amen. that designed that thing. And do you know what he made it out of? Mud. Mud. Mud and sunshine. Now, if I give you some mud and a flashlight, what can you make? <laughs> Do we thank him? I just looked at that thing. My family knows. We all sat there. They were, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're so fragile and delicate and tender from mud. Mud. And they come up in one year. They grow so fast. Are you thankful? That's a little thing. You know, we have an expression in our nation, in our language, did you stop to smell the roses? And what that means is, by interpretation, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. That's the scriptural statement. We have paraphrased it into be stop and smell the roses. They give off a beautiful smell. You touch them, and you've never touched anything more delicate than a rose petal. You look at them, and you know what? They don't make any noise to irritate me. Aren't they beautiful? The Lord made them. Hebrews 13, brethren, what I'm trying to say to you is when the Lord gives us little things, are we ripping the wrappings off? Are we looking at them and enjoying the flowers, or do we stop? That is incredibly glorious in its design. You are incredible. Lord, I love you. Amen. Do you know what he wants to do? He's going to bring you a new variety next year. Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. That is, what is the sacrifice of praise? How do we make an offering to the God of the New Testament? the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When I read about Solomon dedicating that glorious temple in the Old Testament, when I read about David moving the Ark of the Covenant into his little tent that he made for it, and I see the sacrifices that they made, I wish I could go back there and be with them. 120,000 sheep? That's a lot of sheep. 22,000 oxen? That's a lot of meat. 
Because God sent the fire down and sucked it up off that glorious altar that God had made. I, I read I read these accounts in First Kings, the first ten chapters, and I think, oh, I wish I could have been there to offer up something like that to God. But he tells us right here how to do it, and he's content with the fruit of our lips. Amen. Not an ox, not sheep. The fruit of our lips. We can offer up a sacrifice to God, and he tells us here to do it. Therefore, let us do this. Offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And what is it? The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Lord Jesus Christ, I love you, I thank you, I bless you, I praise you for all that you have done that I see and that I don't see because I know I only see a little bit of it. And right now I see snow. And you know that those flakes out there outside that window are glorious in design. Don't we learn as little children there aren't any two alike? If I gave you a hundred sheets of paper, the hundred and first one would look like the first one. They're all different. Every one of them. And how many thousands has he dropped? Do you think it's millions in the history of the world? Maybe billions? Maybe trillions? Maybe septrillions? Maybe something else that we don't know about? Only the Lord. And they're glorious out there. I wish we could have a snow like we did in 87. Then you'd have something to praise the Lord for. That'd be quiet again, wouldn't it? Remember 87? Wow, I love that. doesn't happen often enough down here, but once in a while it makes you appreciate it, blankets the earth, wipes out all the ugly dirt and darkness and grayness, beautiful white. You walk outside, everything is muffled, and it shuts the whole earth down so that they can't run to and fro and forget that there's a God in heaven. And all of their mighty equipment... And mighty structures, they start to cave in because of the weight of those light little flakes. They can't move their heavy equipment. The earth stops because the Lord sent some tender little morsels of frost. Keep praying. We haven't had one in a long... We'll pray for you that you don't have to take that truck tomorrow morning. Brother Jim, you heard that checking me up here if I'm sane. But I I love the snow. Once in a while, a great snow is just another reminder. Do you know, am I speaking foolishly this morning, or do I have a couple chapters in the Bible that I can turn you to where God takes recognition of what he can do with snow? What book of the Bible would you turn to? There's a couple. Job and Psalms, where God magnifies his power by being able to take those little droplets of water and turn them into those little crystals, beautiful crystals, and send them on earth. The glory of thanksgiving, brethren, it is offering a sacrifice to God. Look at Psalm 69 with me. Psalm 69. I love this little passage, too, about thanksgiving. I don't want to give you too many. I have many up here. I just want to give you a few so that you remember the the good ones. The Lord knows how I mean that. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. When we thank Him, we magnify Him. I'm trying to magnify Him about that rose, about the snow, about all that He's done for us, about His pavilion in which He hides me, about the salvation in which He rescued me from being His enemy when His angels should have cut me asunder and left my portion with the hypocrites in gnashing of teeth and torments of flames forever and ever. But He hauled me up and He saved me. And I want to magnify His name. I love to be in that captain's host. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. And do you know who wrote this? Here I was, fantasizing that I could go back and be with David and Solomon and offer up a thanks, offer up sacrifices like they did. And who wrote these words? In Psalm 69. David did. And do you know what David says in that 31st verse? This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall hear this, shall see this, and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. Brethren, if we would magnify the Lord with thanksgiving, whenever we come in contact with each other, it would cause us, according to this verse, to be glad and to live. 
Do you know sometimes it feels like we're dead? Because things have happened in our lives that crush us. But if we would always hear thanksgiving and blessing and magnifying the name of God, it would cause us to live again. I love that. That it's better than what Solomon and David did. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I hope you love to do it. And I hope that you'll do it more. I was reading in Revelation this past week about Thanksgiving. Because they're all singing up there. They're all happy up there. And so I wanted to see if... Do you, do you think there's any Thanksgiving going on in heaven? Amen. Which chapter do you want to try to find that doesn't say anything about Thanksgiving? They're doing it up there, brethren. When you're in the presence of that great God, and there's this incense over here coming up before Him from His great altar where He is burning the wicked, and you are in His pavilion, hidden safe forever and ever, you tend to be thankful. If only we could see it now with a clear view. Turn to to, uh, Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. If you don't know these words, then you haven't paid much attention to the reading of Scripture and the teaching of it because here's a precious man offering up a precious word of thanksgiving that I hope we all remember. Genesis chapter 32, why do I call any man precious? Because God said that this man needed a name change because he had power with God. And it was Jacob. But I want to tell you something about Jacob. Not only was Jacob a great wrestler, when Jacob wanted a blessing from God and he wrestled with him and God said, I need to go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's quite a man. That's persistence in prayer. And God did bless him. God gave him the desire of his heart. But I want to tell you, before the wrestling match began, what he was doing in his corner, and he wasn't receiving instructions on wrestling, he was receiving instructions on thanksgiving. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. When he passed over that Jordan the first time, he was running from Esau's face who had said he was going to kill him. He had a staff. When he came back 20 years later, how many sons? Twelve. How much stuff? Two bands. They had to travel separately. He thanks the Lord, not only for that size, but he thanks the Lord for the least of all the mercies and of all the truth that you have shown me. Now, you go into a battle with God, you go into a wrestling match with God like that, you've already disarmed him because he wants to bless someone that thanks him like that. Amen. Then he had the wrestling match over here in the last part of chapter 32. Then come to chapter 35. What do you think he sandwiches that wrestling match with? Thanksgiving. He starts with it, I am not worthy. Notice, remember what our definition of Thanksgiving was? To recognize the gift and the giver. And to admit that we're not worthy of either. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And then you can read the, the efforts that were made to put away the strange gods from among them, to clean themselves up so that they could go back and make an offering and sacrifice to the God that had wrought so gloriously in Jacob's life from when he fled from his father's face. What was the Passover for, brethren? When a family... And, you know, it's hard for us to imagine because we don't do anything like this anymore except a few of you hunters. But to take a little throat and let its blood in that bowl and put it around that door once a year, how long were they supposed to keep that feast? Perpetually forever. And what was it for? You can go read the whole chapter of Exodus chapter 12. It was a Thanksgiving service that when the angel of the Lord passed through the land of Egypt, He passed over their houses. 
because that night there rose in the land of Egypt a howl and a scream from every house, because the firstborn in every house, man and beast, had been killed by the angel of the Lord. And you go read Exodus 12. Moses tells those Israelites, when your boys ask you, what are we doing this for, Dad? Ah, son, I have a little story to tell you. You know, our nation has its Thanksgiving Day, and there's a story that can be told about that, too, when some God-fearing people came to this country because they wanted to worship God according to their conscience and the Word of God, which they could not do on the mainland or on the islands. In the Great Britain, they came here. There's a story to tell also. But, brethren, we need, what I'm trying to point out to you is the examples of Thanksgiving in the Bible, that there need to be things in our lives that force us to stop and reflect on the good things God's done for us. The Passover was one. You know, I read just a, a few chapters later in Exodus 15, with those Egyptians washing up on the shore, Moses and Miriam got excited, and they started a song. And you should go read Exodus 15 sometime. It is just full of thanksgiving for looking at that mighty host, the greatest nation on earth at the time, waterlogged on the shore. Moses went through it once, and then Miriam answered back with the song. You can go read it in Exodus chapter 15. They were thankful people. And we should be thankful, brethren. Do you remember Simeon and Anna? Simeon and Anna, two old folks. Is there ever a time to be too old to be thankful? Simeon had been kept alive by God. He worshipped in the temple until a couple came in there named Joseph and Mary, and they had a little baby. And he took that little baby in his hands And he said, now I can die. Now I can die because I've seen your salvation. Because he held the little baby Christ Jesus in his hands. And yes, he was once a baby. But brethren, he grew. He grew better than Samson's locks grew. He grew into the Lord of glory and then he was exalted on high. But Simeon got to hold him in his hands. And if you go read Simeon's words in Luke 2, they'll bless your heart. And as soon as we end with the words of Simeon, who do we have? Anna, a widow. She got to be married for seven years, and she got to be a widow for about 80. And what what did she thank the Lord for? Because she saw him also. And you ought to see what her mouth did. Her mouth magnified the Lord. And if you'll go read it tenderly alone and think about the words, we have a lot to be thankful for. And most of it, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say about that little child Jesus Christ that Simeon held and Anna witnessed? Here's what he would say. The last verse of that ninth chapter. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Amen. Forget the snowflakes. Forget the rose. Let me tell you about the rose of Sharon, or the lily of the valley, or whatever else you want to call him. He's fairer than 10,000, and he's the unspeakable gift. What words can we offer that are appropriate for the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the most glorious, blessed, perfect, virtuous man that has ever lived. He's never forsaken anyone. His promises are true. His love is deep. His faithfulness is constant. His blessings are abundant. He gives and he doesn't take back. And he's glorious to look at and to behold. And he saved us. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. One of these days, all that's going to separate you from an eternal lake of fire and a judge that must judge every sin with an eternal lake of fire and you're going to be caught in between and you can ignore my voice right now you can be thinking about your job which is stupid waste of time you can be thinking about your house which is a stupid thing to live in you can be thinking about your clothes or what we're going to have for the potluck which is all a waste of your mental effort 
you're going to stand between a holy God that hates sin and must judge it infinitely in every sinner and the lake of fire where you're going to be judged. And there's only going to be one thing between that God and you being cast in there by the simple expression of his will. Right. One thing. And it's the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. There's going to be a man there. And he's going to interrupt those proceedings. And he's going to say, that one's mine. Father, that one's mine. Check the book of life. That one's mine. I gave my life for him. I laid down my life and suffered that torment already, Father. He does not go into the lake of fire. That is the unspeakable gift. And it is going to pan out just as I just told you. And you can... You can have your mind distracted and blinded and clouded by our human hearts, by Satan, by this world that bombards us with all sorts of foolish thoughts. But that is the glorious thought for which we ought to be thankful. Amen. And he's going to hide me in his pavilion forever. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Amen. The Apostle Paul, when he would think about his life and would think about his heart and his lusts, in Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, as the Apostle Paul would look into the law of God and its searchlight would shine upon all of his wickedness and his lust, he would say in the 24th verse, O wretched man that I am! I'm a wretch! I'm ruined! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And you will be saying those words when you stand between hell and the holy God that's going to be judging you. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And what does the Apostle Paul have to say about that? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that a simple enough sentence for you? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of our thanksgiving should be in Him. There are so many things that distract us down here. We get perplexed. We get in distress. We get in despair. We're cast down. But there's no reason that we should be destroyed. Because there's a Lord Jesus Christ that sits at God's right hand, whoever liveth to make intercession for us, and one of these days, in the grandest of terms, in His own glorious design, He is going to save you publicly in the most forward, public manner possible to magnify His glory and His grace. This thing will not be done in secret. This thing will not be done hastily. It will be done gloriously. Because all of creation and all of earth and all of our lives exist for one thing. The moment and the eternity of the revelation of the grace of God. When Jesus Christ steps up and delivers your soul. And you will see affection between God and His Son, Jesus Christ, though you will never see the face of God, you will see affection between the two of them. You will not have to wonder if His request is going to be denied. Because He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father Himself, the Prince of Peace. I could turn you to any epistle that you wanted to pick. I'll let you pick, and I'll show you where. And every epistle that Paul wrote, he would write to those churches, and he would say, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, for the grace given to you. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, there would be no congregations of saints. Every epistle, he thanked God for them. Is it a part of every prayer that you make? We tend to get wrapped up sometimes in praying for what we need. Even if we're praying for something very spiritual like the Lord to bless our hearts to be more holy. That isn't good enough. We should, we can, we should pray that. Right. But that prayer should be filled with thanksgiving. Amen. Because the fact that you're praying for a holy heart is an incredible blessing. Amen. I'm not turning you now any longer because I want to finish. But when I look in First Chronicles chapter 29, and all Israel had come together to bring gifts to worship God for the building of that temple... David got down and prayed for them and said, Lord, it is not within us to have such willing hearts. And all they brought was stuff. 
when you have in your heart a desire to pray to be more holy, God, through Jesus Christ, his son, has rescued you and come after you and convicted you and pricked you into something very good. That in itself is a salvation. If you ever feel, and I have said this before, but I want to say it again, if you ever feel any conviction that there is a God in heaven and you should be altering your life to please Him, if you ever feel the least degree of it, it is by the grace of God because if He was like you or like me, He would desert us and leave us to our foolishness. But He comes back to us to rescue us and to put in our hearts the desire to humble ourselves once again and to pray and to confess our sins and to seek Him. That is the mercy of God. And if you ever have an inkling of being pricked or being convicted, don't let those thoughts go away. Don't let anything distract you. But seek them out with a whole heart and humble yourself before them and offer up to God thanksgiving for it and pray for Him to grant you that holy heart. It is by His grace. We play with sin so much. Brother Stephen and I have talked several times this week. He should desert us. He should desert us. When you feel that loving kindness of His, respond, brethren, and thank Him for it. Amen. Do you know that there is the saying of amen in assemblies in the New Testament? Amen. First Corinthians 14, 16, and 17. And when does it say that we should say amen in assembly? At the giving of thanks. How shall the unlearned be able to say amen at the giving of thanks? Even an unlearned man can understand thanksgiving. And how is he going to be able to say amen unless we speak in words easily to be understood? The warning was against speaking in tongues. Brethren, we give opportunities in this assembly to thank the Lord. And when we do, I hope that you'll take advantage of it to bless and to magnify Him before the saints. We don't give this opportunity for an update on your life. We give this for an update on His glory. We want the Lord to be magnified. If you want to update us about your life, send us an email, write us a letter. Call us all on the phone. Tell us afterwards. Tell us before. But when we, before the great congregation, get an opportunity, it's special. David rejoiced in Psalm 35. I could turn you there and show you. He got excited about being able to thank the Lord before the great congregation. And it should be with our hearts also. Amen. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, It's the end of Psalm 107. I don't have time to tell you about all the things in Psalm 107. It's a great chapter to read. I'm giving you reading material. Psalm 107. Whoso is wise and will observe these things. Look and think. Take time. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Amen. It's not wrong what we're going to do on Thursday. I read in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and I've taught this before. 10% of your gross income, if you were an Israelite, 10% was to be set aside to go to the cities that he had chosen to be worshipped in, and there you were to spend 10% of your gross income to buy whatsoever your soul lusted after and to eat it there with your family and to rejoice before the Lord with thanksgiving. 10% of gross. That's a big vacation. That's Deuteronomy 14. What we're doing this Thursday, if we have a big meal, if you have a big meal, make sure that when you're sitting there and you're enjoying whatever you have fixed that delights your soul, whatsoever your soul lusteth after, make sure you bless the giver. Thank him for the gift and realize that we don't deserve any of it. And brethren, as you look through those natural things for our natural bodies, See the Lord Jesus Christ mounted at his pavilion waiting for you. 
He is going to rescue you someday. And it's going to be the most glorious rescue that you can't imagine it. I can't tell you. I'll, I'll leave this sermon sick in my soul that I wasn't able to tell you about the great deliverance that you have in Christ Jesus. He's the unspeakable gift. Amen.